you're not the only option and there are other options out there. And if your time is already spoken for on something that's more important to you, then you should stick to that and let the system adapt to what you're actually trying to do. Welcome to the Inspiring Teacher Podcast, the show that empowers educators to make a positive impact in the lives of their students and the education community. Whether you're a beginning teacher seeking guidance, a seasoned educator looking to excel further in your career, or anyone interested in the world of education, this podcast is for you. Get ready to dive into the world of inspiration with practical tips and meaningful conversations. Each episode is designed to provide you with valuable insights and actionable strategies that you can implement straight away. I'm your host, Jason Marshall, a passionate educator dedicated to supporting teachers in reaching their full potential. Join me as I bring in renowned experts, experienced educators, and thoughtful leaders to share their wisdom, experiences, and innovative approaches to education. Welcome back to another episode of The Inspiring Teacher. This week, I have another special guest for you all. He's the author of an Amazon number one best-selling book, Work Less, Teach More, How to Be an Effective Teacher and Live a Life That You Love. He's been teaching since 2006, been a classroom teacher, head teacher, deputy principal, and even an acting principal. And he's consulted with governing bodies represented on teacher association boards and currently spends his time developing effective teachers around the globe. But what I love most about this man is his willingness to go out of his way to see all teachers succeed in their life and their career. So please help me welcome to the podcast, Mr. Daniel Jackson. Hello. Hey, Jason. How are you? (laughs) I'm amazing. How are you? I'm great. That sounds like a very generous introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's your life. That's what you've put out there. So it's awesome. Thank you very much. What I want to know, though, is can you share a little bit about your story, how you went from a teacher through to where you are now as the founder of Teachers PD? Yeah, I started teaching way back in 2006. I hadn't even finished my master's of education yet. (laughs) So I'd just done undergrad stuff. I, I wasn't technically qualified to be a teacher, but there's a clause at the time for the school I was at where they could hire me as long as I was enrolled uh, and doing yeah, okay, my, cool. my dip ed. So, so I was doing that at the same time as yeah, uh, getting my first role. And then from there, I mean, I sound strange. I went teaching because I needed money, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is not what most people think about uh, yeah. when they think about teaching, but uh, that's what I needed originally. But I was given a, a permanent role straight away and I found it, you know, I, I loved, I loved it from the beginning. As soon as I started doing it, the impact, see, changing the kid's life lives, all that kind of stuff. Really enjoyed that, but very quickly learnt that teaching comes with a whole lot of extra work and you get yourself quite busy very quickly. And so, yeah, long long story short, eventually I got to the point where I was struggling with my time. I was struggling working long hours, getting very little sleep. I just had my first son and yeah, I decided to resign my position pretty much the first week of term two, I think, when I resigned. I gave my two weeks notice. Uh, my wife had been given an opportunity to do some work that would go into the end of the year. And so I knew I could take that time off. And so I took the time off. And during that time, I started up my first business where I was just basically writing an online textbook for free for students to enjoy and to use for a subject that I am an expert in, which is PDSP, so the subject. The, <laughs> the website is pdsp.net. I started by doing that. And as I was doing that, I began to read business books, basically. And so, you know, it's what you do when you're starting up a business. And yeah. so I, I was developing the website. I was chatting to people. I was you know, learning things. I then went back to teaching full time the year after again but at a different school and had a very supportive principal at the time who told me from the very beginning that I was flagged. It was a 
brand new school. So it's like, I want to give you're the person who I want to train up to be, you know, leading stuff at the school, which was fantastic for me. It was, it was well set up basically. And so I came in and I had all this stuff that I'd learned that I then applied to my teaching. And so I learned all these things from business. So there's about a billion business books about how to be effective, how to be efficient, you know, time hacks. There's so many of them. Yeah. And I was reading these. And so I just decided, well, I'm not going to get stuck in that habit that I was in before where I was working long hours. Like I used to get to school at six o'clock in the morning and work until you know, four o'clock in the afternoon, drive home and then work at nighttime. You know, that's mm. kind of the standard, I think, for a lot of teachers. They come to work, they work their butts off, they go home, they work their butts off. I need to repeat it every day. But I set myself up differently. So I caught public transport. I caught a train for nearly an hour to get to my work. And so I would work on the train into school. I would work at school and then I would work on the train home. And so I got home at 10 past four and that was when I stopped working. And so I had that goal and I had it set up and I was applying all the strategies that I had and it worked for me. I actually found myself, I actually ended up spending a lot of the time on the train working on my business rather than working for stuff for school because I was actually so on top of the stuff that was going on at school. And that was that was fantastic for me. It was fantastic for my life with my wife and you know, my child. We then have had a second child as well during that time. Mm. And so my life got quite transformed really through this process. I then decided, hey, why not start up a second business? Uh, so I started up another one, providing professional development to teachers. And yeah, I managed to work my way in the space of three years. I went from just you know, a foundation school classroom teacher to becoming the deputy principal at that school. I was then deputy principal for three years there. And during that time, I was running two other businesses on the side and I would travel around Australia providing professional development places. And I just found that I still had a fantastic balance in life. I could still do all the stuff I needed to do at school and I could run my businesses and I still had time for my family. I was still seeing my kids. It was just, everything was working. And amazing. That was amazing for me. And so I actually, I resigned and left the school in 2020 after the year that I was, you know, locked down, the first lockdowns in Australia and all the things that happened in 2020. Yeah. Uh, and so I got to be you know, acting principal a fair bit during that year as well. And that during that year, basically my businesses were making more money than I was getting paid as a teacher. And so I had really had a decision to make whether I kept trying to do both or if I would invest completely in one. I chose to invest completely in one and I stopped teaching at schools. But at the same time, there were a bunch of changes that happened here in New South Wales. All the lockdowns became even worse the year after, which impacted me as a teacher. But I remember I remember that year sending out a survey at the very beginning of the year, just asking teachers, what's your biggest problem that you need help with? What's the biggest thing? If I had a magic wand and could fix something, what, what is it that you want me to fix? And, you know, I was after teachers telling me, you know, I want help with my programming. I want help with lesson plans. I want help with, you know, how do I manage my classrooms? All that, like the stuff that is normal teacher uh, kind of stuff because I wanted to develop professional development for it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I knew the response, like as I started reading the first response, which was, you know, more time, you know, less admin work. As soon as I saw the first one, I'm like, oh, I should have put on the form, you know, don't, not time. Like I should have put that on the form because that wasn't what I wanted. I knew that that was, I know that's the number one problem, but you know, in my head, I was like, that's, that's not what I'm doing. It's not my target. But as I went through the year, I kept going back to that form and I kept seeing all those answers. And there was, you know, over 200 people, I think, filled in that form for me and probably a hundred of them or more told me that time was their biggest problem, <laughs> which, you know, if all of them were honest, it would have been, you know, all of them would have written that. Mm. But I eventually decided that I did have something to offer in that space because I had, I had managed to balance my life really well when I came back using all the knowledge and the stuff that I'd learned through business stuff. And even stuff from, I had a business coach that I used who's 
specialization was how to reduce your workload and still be effective. And so I took a lot of the stuff that I learned and I decided, hey, I'm going to write a book to help teachers. And so I went through a process. I signed up for a 30-day challenge, wrote the book wow. uh, in 30 days, had professional edited, all that kind of stuff, and published the book at the end of 2021. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think the whole point of that was help teachers to reduce their workload and stuff. But also at the same time, one of the things that teachers worry about the most when it comes to reducing their workload is they don't want to let the kids down. We have this ingrained culture of we must do everything we can to help these students. And if I reduce my workload, that means I'm not helping the students as much. And so I made sure that as I was doing this, the whole point of what I want to do is to reduce the workload, but also increase your impact on the students because the impact impact on your students should go up when you do it correctly. Like when, if you reduce the right things out of your workload, uh, yeah. which is generally a lot of the admin type stuff that we hate doing, you know, if we can find ways to not be in meetings that don't actually relate to us at all and apply that time elsewhere, suddenly we become more effective, but we're actually working less time and we have time outside of school for that life that we really want to enjoy living essentially. Mm. And so that's, that's kind of the process that went through. So, and Teachers PD now, you know, that's the business that the book's under has shifted from doing just basic professional development stuff to now focusing explicitly on developing effective teachers, reducing time and increasing impact. I love it. I love it. I want to touch onto your book, Work Less, Teach More. I'm assuming it's still out there on Amazon, being the number one Amazon's bestseller up there. If there was a key insight or a strategy that you could take from that book to share with us right now, what would that be? There's a lot of really important things that teachers need to grasp in order to be Mm -hmm. able to actually make the changes that need to happen. And so I think one of the key things that's at the beginning of the book is for us to actually step up in terms of our responsibility around our time. Yeah, and this is not to negate or say that you know the system isn't set up against you or that your principals or your deputies aren't being too harsh on you and all that kind of stuff. But there is an element of, you know, we are responsible for our time. No one takes our time without us willingly giving it. And mm. that might be that we're just we're choosing between things and we're we're scared of one of the options that might come out. Often teachers, you know, they feel like if they're gonna if they say no to something that they're gonna lose their job or they won't get offered a permanent position. And that's stressful for teachers. But there's also an element of it's still your choice. So you're you're choosing to say yes to something here, which means you're saying no to something elsewhere. And that accepting of responsibility around our time. And I talk in the book about being response able, able to respond. Right? That's mm. essentially what responsibility is. And so whenever requests come or whenever things come your way, right? Your choice, how you use your time. Uh, no one generally is forcing you to be in a chair, working at your computer at five o'clock in the afternoon. That's you generally doing that. There may be an expectation that you're going to be at school until, you know, 3.30, 4 o'clock or something, but there's not normally one to five, you know? There's definitely elements within what we're doing where, yes, some things are part of our job, and we have to do them. But then there's lots of other things that we are choosing to do on top of the actual legal responsibilities. And sometimes that is, you know, your principal trying to enforce things that aren't actually required of you, but they want you to do. And it's good for us to distinguish between those things and to be able to come back and say, actually, you know, I'm going to say no to that, even though it's something you want me to do and it might impact the way you think of me. Often a lot of the things that come into play for our time, we can say no to quite easily and quite happily And actually, most of the time, that's not going to have a major impact on how the other person sees us. Because I remember when I was the deputy and even acting principal, when you go to a teacher and ask them to do something, often it's just because that's the first person that came to mind when you were thinking about this thing that needs to be done. And if they Mm. reply and say, actually, I'm swamped with this at the moment, I don't really have time for that. I'd go, 
no worries. I'll find someone else or I'll do it myself. Like it's yeah. not actually, your career isn't generally hanging on whether or not you say yes to something or no to something. Your career hangs on, you know, your quality teaching that you're doing. It hangs on, you know, what you're doing in your classroom and your programming and ticking the boxes for all the legal things that are required, but not doing all the things that are above and beyond what we actually have to do. And I know often we get motivated by our students. You know, if I don't do this, it's going to impact my students negatively. In the end, your students actually have quite a lot of teachers. Uh, and they're all having an impact and mm. you don't have to be the sole teacher that has all the impact on these students that are in front of you. So that's, that's probably point number one. And until, until our mindset shifts over to the idea that we have the power and we actually are in control of a lot of this, it's not until you do that, that you can then start to make some really key changes that really make a big impact on what you're doing with your time because you can then start to go well what are my priorities like what do I want to improve where do I want to spend my time and then I can start to plan out my time based on those priorities and as Mm. you plan out your time and book things into you know a weekly calendar or a fortnightly calendar or whatever and then makes it really when the principal then comes and says can you stay late for this meeting with this about this student it's a welfare meeting and I just know that you have a good impact on this student I'd like you to be there you can quite easily go actually I don't have, I, I can't, I've got something else scheduled this afternoon that I have to go to, right? And you don't have to tell your principal that that other thing that is important that you have to go to is hanging out with your kids, right? But because you've scheduled it in, you can actually go, I oh, know that time is already allocated to something else mm. and allocated to something that is important to me and is more important than, you know, there are other teachers that will be at that welfare meeting, the ones that have to be there, you know, the principal will be there, the, the deputy will be there, the head of wellbeing will be there or the head of welfare you know, those teachers will be there. Maybe the year advisor will be there, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so you don't have to commit to things that aren't actually part of your role. Mm. We often want to, <laughs> and that's yeah. that's the other side of it is to go, well, if I want to be there, that's fine. Like if I look at that and go, well, actually being at that welfare thing is more important than what I have scheduled after school. You might choose to then say, well, yeah, I can come. I'll just change my schedule for the day. And that's okay because you're the one in control. You're the one making that choice. And it mm. becomes evident and clear to you that that's the choice you're making. Whereas when things aren't planned, if I haven't decided what's most important to me and then started to plan that out on some kind of schedule, then it's hard for me to say no because I don't know what I'm I don't know what I'm saying no to if I say yes, basically. And so by doing a system where you're identifying the things that matter and planning those out into your week, having that kind of a schedule system, you then it suddenly becomes glaringly obvious what you're missing out on by saying yes to something. And that can be saying yes to just, you know, meeting up with someone and having a coffee with them after school. It can be a quick chat about a student. It can be, you know, all the things that just pop up at school. There's a million of them. You know, someone might want you to come and have a look over their program with them. Someone might want you to go and meet them to chat about something specific. Maybe it's asking you to go and be on an extra duty or something. And you can actually say, oh, no, I can't do that duty. You're going to need to find someone else because I'm busy. I've already got something scheduled in. Mm. And that makes a big difference. And the people who are receiving that aren't going to get angry generally. And if they do push back, then you at least know what's important to them. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. if they come back to you and say, no, you have to do this duty because you owe us a duty, right? Then you can negotiate that and you can go, well, either you're going to make it so I have to, right? And if they do force you to do stuff like that, it becomes the exception to the rule rather than the norm. Like you're saying, yes, is the exception because they're going to push and push or whatever. They go, I've I've tried other people, then 
no one else can do it. You know, what is it that you've got on? Like, can you possibly change that and adapt it or whatever? You're, they're not going to generally come down and you go, no, no, you have to do this or you don't have a job. Like that's, you'd have mm. to have missed a lot of things in a row for them to be able to say that because otherwise you can basically get them in trouble for bullying uh, <laughs> because they're not allowed to constantly threaten your job at the school for you to yeah. not do things that aren't actually in your, you know, roles and descriptions and responsibilities that it should be in your contract. Mm. So it's important for us to, to understand how things work, to know that the generally speaking, the person coming down and asking you is it's, you're not the only option and there are other options out there and if your time is already spoken for on something that's more important to you then you should stick to that and let the system adapt to what you're actually trying to do yeah i love that and you touched on two massive topics there of yes we can say no and the power of no and the power of planning because if we fail to plan then we plan to fail right it's yeah it's i love that my next question for you, you have obviously had experience in leadership roles. If someone was inspiring to step into a leadership role, what advice would you give them? I would very much encourage them to go through and identify the things that are going to matter most to them. Like if they're looking for a promotion or whatever, think about the ideal position that you want. So if it's a head of welfare, maybe, or you want to be the person in charge of curriculum design across your school, or if your goal is to become the principal or even above your principal, go and work at you know your department of education that governs things across your state or something like that. You want to start to look at what your goal is and then identify your steps to getting there. And generally that means thinking through and going, okay, I'm going to make sure that all my professional development relates to this goal that I want. And so if you want to become the head teacher and be in charge of a subject area, then you want to go and do you know, lots of professional development on curriculum design, how to do assessments well, making sure that you understand your state regulations around education and what you have to do as a head teacher. Like if you want to make sure you understand all the things you're responsible for. And as you do that, right, you're going to get feedback maybe on your classroom practice as well, because you want to make sure that is really good so that you can then guide other teachers in that area. And so you're really focusing what you're going to be improving, focusing that improvements on your perceived, you know, your wanted promotion that you're looking at. So if you want to be stepping up into leadership, then that's where you start to do your professional development. That's where you start to read all those books. And so you things like understanding by design, you would go and read that, for example, if you want to get into mm -hmm. curriculum stuff, or if you wanted to be someone who's managing students and doing welfare and leadership stuff, then maybe go and read Renee Brown's stuff about leadership, right? She's an absolute guru in that area. Yeah, 100%. You want to start to implement these into your classroom so that you can, well, not just into your classroom, but into your whole practice, right? Into everything that you're doing so that you can continue to step up and you want to volunteer yourself for those particular roles. And so before your principal or your deputy comes to you and says, can you do this, right? Which may not be a leadership thing in the area you want. You want to come to them and you want to say, hey, I want to you know, really improve in this area because I have a goal of you know, eventually becoming in charge of welfare or becoming the deputy principal or becoming the principal or something. And so you look for that, what they can actually offer you in terms of leadership in that area. So you can say, you know, I really want to become excellent at welfare and well-being with students. I've gone and done these courses. I've bought these books. Is there some kind of role where I can jump into at school, whether it's got monetary benefits to it or not? where I can practice what I'm learning and where I can actually work with the students on their welfare, well-being. You know, can I pair up with the counsellor in some way to assist in how things are laid out? Maybe can they put me into year advisor or a stage advisor type role? Can they put me in charge of pastoral care or something? You're just trying to come to them before they come to you. You want to say, these are my goals. How can we work together to achieve those where it benefits the school 
right? And it also is benefiting you to develop that and continue to grow. And the other thing you want to look for is a mentor of some kind that's already in that position, someone who you Mm -hmm. look to and think they're amazing. And you want to find that person and ask them to mentor you, even if they're not at your school. If they're someone who you know is really good at this, but they're at a different school, try and organize with that person so that you can have regular catch-ups with them. You can reflect on things with them. You can chat to them about how things are going. Now, people generally like to develop their professional learning networks anyway. And so you're looking for someone who can really mentor you and you know, tell them, you know, I'm keen to learn from you. I'm keen to grow in this area because I want to be doing what you're doing, but I want to be doing it obviously at a different school or in a different district or something. Uh, and that sets you up for your continued growth. So if you actually you know, think of it, the way that we teach our students, right? When we're looking at how we design our learning for our students. Mm-hmm. We always think, you know, what's the goal? How can I help get my students there? What steps do they need to achieve to get there as you're designing that learning? When you think about our students' growth in general, we think about you know, where they're at, where they're going, and how do we get them there? And the same thing for us. We need to be thinking about where we're at now. What are my current skills? Where do I want to be? And then what are the steps to getting there? And when do I want to achieve those steps? Yeah, if I want to be you know, a principal and I'm just a classroom teacher first year out at the moment, you've got a, you've got a few steps to go through before you can get to that point. Yeah. But yeah, you know, even as a first year out, you can be a year advisor. You can yeah, you, know, you can take over a pastoral care team to a certain degree. You can you know connect yourself up with the person who is the head of welfare and say, hey, anything that you're doing with welfare, if you want some help with it, I'm your person. Just send me an email because I have this goal. Until mm. I have this goal. And this is going to benefit me. I'm going to get the training from it. I'm going to develop myself professionally in this way by being under you, by assisting you in things and by thinking through things with you, you know, being that sounding board for that person to come to. Because anyone who works particularly in welfare will tell you when you're dealing with massive welfare issues, which you do at schools, they're huge. It becomes very lonely and isolated because Mm. there's very limited people who you're allowed to talk to. Uh, you can't just hear all this information about a student's background and stuff and then go and tell all of his teachers. Unless you have permission to do that, it's very limited, the circle that actually has all that know-how. Whereas if you say, you know, I want to be your assistant, suddenly you're the assistant welfare person at the school, even though you're not getting paid or anything for it, but you then get into that inner sanctum of you get to actually hear all these extra bits and pieces of information around the students and be involved in the conversations or at least hear about the conversations that happen that are happening for these students who require all this extra care, all this extra support that the school puts in and that often actually a lot of the teachers don't see. Mm. And that's it's good for the teachers not to see it all because it would impact the student even more, probably in a negative way, if that's the case. Yeah. And so yeah. it's it's really hard. When I was acting principal, it was probably the toughest mental thing I've ever done in my life was to be be in that position, making particular decisions across the school that impact very specific people and the things that were happening to them, you know, having to work out how do I manage, you know, these big issues. Like there were times where you have to think about, you know, police coming in or, you know, do I need to get an independent person to come and do a review or this teacher? Yeah. And that's, I'm going to do that privately and not publicly. Like it's just, it becomes these really big complex issues and it's lonely there because they can't share it with people. And so mm. you, know, you want to early on in your career even identify what the loads are. What, how difficult is this? Can I handle that? You know, how do I set myself up? You know, talk to your people. If you want to be a head of welfare or something, talk to people about what they do for their mental health. You know, that's key for longevity in those positions. And so, yeah, it's just about identifying where you want to be, where you are, and the steps to get there. And then go about a learning process to get yourself there. Do the readings, do the PD get some hands-on experience, get some feedback around things, 
get involved in the discussions that are happening from the people who you want to learn from. And that that's really key to growing. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Now, you touched on two big things that, in my opinion, creates burnout, loneliness and workload. In your opinion, what do you think is the best way for teachers to avoid that burnout? So to avoid burnout, generally, we talked about it already a bit earlier, like the idea of saying no, scheduling stuff. It's mm-hmm. easier to say no. But burnout, actually, it's a little more complex than just having a lot of work. Right? It's, yeah. it's actually about the purpose of that work and whether or not we see purpose in what we're doing. And so if you get caught up in doing lots and lots of admin things that are not related to things that you want to really do well in, right? you don't have to have a lot of that work for it to be draining and burn you out. So you know, if I'm a classroom teacher and I love you know, teaching in my classroom, I love writing my programs, I love interacting with the students, right? For you, I can probably give you, you can program stuff. I can give you more classes than normally exists. I can probably put you on more duties because that's the stuff that you like doing and you find purpose in. Mm. However, the bit that's going to burn you out is when you then have to, you know, write all the reports for those students and go through and make sure you're marking all those assessment tasks and giving marks to kids in year seven where the marks really, I don't, almost don't see the point of them in terms of the amount of marking that we do and the impact that has. Yeah, It's one thing to see where students are at. doesn't require marking to do that. You can actually look at students' work and go, well, they still need to develop this. They need to develop that. You know, that formative assessment stuff has a big impact. But marking, it's it's different and it's time consuming and it's it's heavy and burdensome and it's paperwork. You know, it's, you know, if I'm caught up in a thousand meetings to talk about stuff that I'm not overly interested in or I'm not passionate about, that's going to burn me out. If I keep having to respond to emails coming in that could have just, you know, that could be done other ways or that if I'm required, been at schools where you, know, you have to respond to an email within 48 hours and I'm like, well, that's that's not actually great, you know. Some emails that come across my desk, I have to spend three or four days working on and finding answers for and then Mm. then responding to. Yeah, it's one thing I I might be able to respond and say, I'm working on this, I'll get back to you. So I think these things, we need to be making sure that we really work hard on doing the stuff that we find purposeful. And the Mm. reason why teachers are complaining so much is because all the admin work has actually gone up so much. And that's what we want to get rid of. And, you know, I've seen here in New South Wales, the state government are like, well, we'll create your programs for you. Like, we no, no, that's the stuff that we want to do. That's the stuff Mm. we're skilled and trained in. The stuff I don't want to do is all this other admin stuff that you want to do, all the ticker boxes that we need to do, you know, marking the role every single lesson. Like it's all that kind of stuff. It's just, you know, getting added and added and added. And it's all just about making sure we don't get sued. You know, I've got to go and do a WHS checklist of the storeroom and of my classroom. And you know, mm. I'm a teacher. Yeah. Like I, I don't want to be going through my classroom and going, well, the chairs aren't all chucked in properly. This cable isn't taped down. Send someone else to do that. Mm. Send someone who's a professional in WHS. Send someone who you pay less per hour, you know, go and do yeah. that kind of stuff. Because that's not, it's not what we're training. It's not what we want to do. We want mm. to be with our students. We want to be programming. We want to be coming up with great lessons, you know, that are impactful for our students. Some of us want to be on the Duke of Ed hikes, you know, where we're chatting with the kids alongside them, learning about life and having that kind of personal impact with our students. And there's mm. there's lots of different things that we as teachers have as our longer goals and see as our purpose. And marrying that purpose up with what we're doing with our time is what enables you to avoid burnout. It enables you to have a long-lasting career. It enables you to have joy and to be satisfied in what you're doing because you know what you're doing is important. You you can still definitely go over the top in terms of the amount of work you're doing for that. But generally speaking, it's not the workload that's actually the problem. 
Uh, if you do a, a time management of yourself, you know, in any week, you've got 180 hours of time. And our statistics tell us that generally teachers work between 50 and 55 hours a week. And so that's still leaves you 130 hours mm-hmm. in the week. You can then take that, you know, take out your sleep, you know, that, that'll reduce it down still, but there's still nearly a full working. And there's probably another 40 hours in a week where yeah. we're not necessarily working, but we're feeling mentally exhausted mm-hmm. during that time, or we're managing our children <laughs> during that time or doing our housework, all that kind of stuff. And so we do, we need to just focus on the things that matter to us. And if we're getting enough of that, then the other stuff is easier to handle, you know, and yeah. it's about reducing this, all the extra work that we're doing that isn't actually stuff we're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my biggest tips for teachers out there to help with their time management is to collaborate. And I'm sure you would agree as well. What would be your biggest tip for teachers to go out there and find a support network and find collaboration? Well, I think it's important if you're looking to reduce your own workload as a teacher, it's important to make sure that collaboration is actually inside your school. I think if you start collaborating with people outside your school, unless they know your context really well, things aren't going to work quite as well. But you want to find that, yeah, collaborate with other people and sharing the workload is, is really what you want to do. And yeah. that can be working together as a team, which sometimes will begin by a period like it's going to take you way longer. It's going to be more work, but actually you'll both grow more as you do things together. I remember planning and programming with another teacher looking after a stage. So we did two years. I think I had year seven and he had year eight or the other way around or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, we sat down and we decided who was teaching which parts in which year group. And we talked about how we we're going to teach it, how it was going to lay out, how it was going to look. And working with him, I learned heaps. I learned so much from him. It was, you know, only my second year of teaching when I was doing that with him, but it was fantastic to have that growth and that development. Then we shared the workload. We then split it and I went prepared year seven and we gave it to each other and we got feedback from each other. And so not only in the end did we have a shared less lower workload, but we also had better programs because we'd had that feedback and we'd improved things based on each other's comments and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, my head teacher would also provide us with feedback, but it was it was great because I wasn't programming year seven and year eight and year nine and year 10 and my, you know, my senior classes as well. We were working together as a team and really your faculty works really well for that. If that's what, like, if you want to reduce your programming stuff, start delegating who does what in terms of programming, everyone uses the same programs and we work through that and we can adapt it. You know, it's a lot easier mm-hmm. to adapt someone else's program if they've done it in your context than it is to come up with all your own stuff from scratch. Then yeah, other ways of networking and reducing your workload is, you know, if you are looking at your purpose, right? Start thinking about your goals and all those. Like I talked about collaborating with people who are your mentors or getting involved in things that actually you're passionate about and you enjoy. That is going to be very helpful for you as well. Because as you find your purpose, and then it's going to help you to say no to stuff, right? Because when your principal knows, well, you're involved in this, right, which matches up with the things that you really want to do, then you can say no to stuff. It's about making sure that you're picking the things that energize you and that you are enjoying and passionate about. And so I can go and work with the deputy, the head of welfare and the principal and some partial care people on partial care and welfare stuff, if that's my goal. And we can work together and we can reduce each other's workload in this area while also I'm growing and improving. Or if I'm the deputy, I'm getting the benefit of the person who needs to grow and improve I'm going to be able to delegate some of those tasks to them, which is beneficial for them, but also saves me time and effort and saves my energy for other things that I might need to do on the, that might be my passions because, you know, within well-being, welfare and all that kind of stuff, there's so many different little segments within all that, that you mm-hmm. can break out and go, well, do you know what? I really like dealing with the poor behavior of students. You really like looking after students' well-being. So why don't you write the students' well-being program 
I'll write the behavior and discipline policy, and then we'll come together and we'll try and negotiate how these things work together across the school. You can implement that one and you know link it into the policy that I write. And then when the students are misbehaving, they come to me. If I then identify that there's well-being issues that are linked to that misbehavior, then it might shift over to you to support them in that area. So they, we still have this discipline, but they're also getting their support that they need to, to work on their well-being. And collaboration can work magic for a lot of teachers everywhere to just share the burden of life. It gives you someone to talk to as well when things get hard, which is definitely something that any teacher needs. They need that person, at least one, preferably two people that you can go to who's happy to let you offload mental burdens, but someone who is allowed to receive all those mental burdens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Dan. You have provided so much value, not only to myself, but I know our listeners out there as well. If people want to find more about you, where can they go and find you? Yeah, you can come over to teacherspd.net if you like, at Dan Jackson TPD on most social media platforms. But if you're listening to the podcast, look up the Effective Teaching Podcast and the host of that. You can come and get more tips and tricks and whatever you want. To, I don't really into tips and tricks, to be honest. Uh, you get more <laughs> strategies and tactics <laughs> for that. how you can improve your effectiveness, uh, which is about reducing your workload and increasing your impact. Amazing. I'll pop all of those in the show notes below as well for you. My last question that I like to ask everyone who comes on the podcast, if you have 30 seconds of advice right now to give our listeners, what would that be? Say no from the very beginning to all the things that are going to burden your time and to find yourself a quality mentor who can help set you up well. Make sure that from the very beginning, you're not saying yes to too much. We all go in energetic and think, oh yeah, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. To start saying no, make that your default rather than your go-to and then really make sure that you've got someone who's mentoring and looking after you. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you got value from this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could take 20 seconds out of your time and leave me a five-star rating and a written review. Remember, you have the power to make a lasting impact in the lives of your students. So until next time, keep inspiring, keep teaching, and keep reaching for greatness.